the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Thursday, March the 4th, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today on March 4, 1933, Franklin D. Roosevelt took office as America's 32nd president. Today in 1789, the first Congress of the United States met in New York. They declared that the Constitution is in effect. I hope it's always in effect. That Constitution, as many of you would know, particularly if you listen to this program, because I've mentioned it before several times, that Constitution was born out of prayer. The men who were writing our Constitution came to an impasse. They couldn't agree. They were fighting among themselves. Tempers flared. They couldn't quite get to where they wanted to be on what would be the Constitution of the United States. Ben Franklin, the least spiritual of all of them, I'm sure, he said, let's pray. It's This is a matter of record. He said, I think we need to pray about this. He said, if God, if a sparrow can't fall without God noticing, I'm pretty sure he's interested in the affairs of mankind and what we're doing here. And they had a prayer meeting. They fought over the prayer. They said they couldn't afford to hire a minister to come in. But finally they got it settled. And the Constitution of the United States was born. Ultimately, it came together. It was born. It was birthed after prayer. Today in 1791, Vermont became the 14th state. Today in 1793, George Washington was sworn in for a second term as President of the United States. The ceremony was in Philadelphia. There were many people urging him to run for a third and a fourth term. In fact, there were some in the country at that time that were wanting to re-sort of rework our structure and make George Washington the king of America. Yeah, there really were. They had fled the king in England, but now they thought George Washington would be a good king. George Washington said, no, he said, we don't need a king. We need a president for two terms. Today in 1865, President Abraham Lincoln was inaugurated for a second term of office. With the end of the Civil War in sight, Lincoln declared in his comments, with malice toward none, with charity for all. Today in 1913, the Buffalo Nickel officially went into circulation. Today in 1925, President Calvin Coolidge's inauguration was broadcast live for the first time, coast to coast, on 21 radio stations. Today in 1952, Ronald Reagan and Nancy Davis were married in the San Fernando Valley of California. Did you know that reading the Bible, reading the Bible during this pandemic has improved the mental health of a large segment of Christians in America? 
not necessarily non-Christians, but Christians. There's a new survey out. The survey found that, as Christian Research did the survey, they found that reading the Bible has also eased anxiety about the future. This survey found that 33% say reading the Bible has improved their mental health during the pandemic. 28% say it has increased their confidence in the future. Another 42% say it has boosted their hope in God. Most in the survey say reading the Bible has allowed their mental health and their beliefs about the future and God to remain solid rather than being attacked or diminished or decreased during these difficult times. The Bible is giving people hope and confidence. That's why of all the things we talk about on this program, and we talk about current events in the day that they are happening, and we'll do so today, but we always do so from a biblical perspective, a very biased biblical perspective, because that is our only hope. If we do not build our lives, our worldview, on the rock of Jesus Christ, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, a hymn we used to sing in church a long time ago. If we don't build our lives on that rock, on that person of Jesus Christ, on his word, God's word, we're going to be living in constant chaos, depression, anxiety, and fear. And there are those who want us to live that way because we are more easily controlled. Satan the chiefest among them, but others who have bought into a secular worldview who have power. And I think most of us recognize that. 35% say they have engaged with the Bible more frequently since this pandemic started. And they mentioned in this, the the, um, the guys taking the survey, the, the Christian Research Company, They ask, what verse have you read the most or thought about the most during this past year? And the verse that was most often mentioned was Isaiah chapter 61, verse 3. And they paraphrased it, saying, you have given me a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. That verse says, there's, of course, a thousand versions of the Bible now or translations. But that that verse actually says in the King James, the Lord hath mingled a perverse spirit in the midst thereof, and they have caused Egypt to err in every work thereof as a drunken man staggereth in his vomit. The word perverse has a number of meanings. Other translations use other meanings, most of them rightly so. But the English Standard Version, the ESV, says the Lord has mingled within her a spirit of confusion. They're talking about Egypt. And they will make Egypt stagger in all its deeds as a drunken man staggers in his vomit. The Lord has poured out into her a spirit of confusion. Egypt has been led astray in all that she does as a drunkard staggers through his vomit. There is nothing Egypt can do 
about it, and I just read the wrong verse in my notes here. That is not Isaiah 61.3. That is Isaiah 19.14. And I was going to mention that in just a moment. I, I'm sorry about that. I, my notes got turned around here this morning. Isaiah 61.3 says the New King James in the New King James Version, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That's the verse, not the other. The other is relates to something else I'm going to talk about in a minute. I don't know how those that note was under another page, and I saw it. I thought it was Isaiah 61.3, and I wasn't paying attention. I apologize. But Isaiah 61.3 is a verse that all of us can lean on to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. I want to talk to you for a moment about the spirit of heaviness. That's a part of the left's, really a part of their ideology. It's a part of their game plan. Isaiah 19.14, which I just read to you. Isaiah 19.14 says, The Lord has mingled within her a spirit of confusion, talking about Egypt. In fact, that portion of Scripture, Isaiah 19.14, is an oracle concerning Egypt. And the story about this and around this is that how Egypt, God had sent a spirit of confusion, a spirit of, of fear and of evil, really, on Egypt. And so, ultimately, the Bible says it didn't matter what they did. They, they staggered like drunkards, staggering in their own vomit. And verse 15 of Isaiah chapter 19 says, There is nothing Egypt can do, head or tail, palm or reed. In other words, it had been taken out of their hands. Sometimes in our experience, there are those moments when in time and in history, when a person or a people, it seems they have lost control to the point where whatever they do ends up in chaos and disaster. And I personally believe that as progressives continue on this downward spiral that they call progress. I think they have entered, some of them entered into a time, a very concerning time. And those who have power particularly are concerning to me, and I would hope they would be to you, because they have lost contact with reality. We live in a time when we're creating our own truth. I hear this so regularly that it's almost a cliche now. Well, you should stand in your own truth. You should stand in your truth. They started using this phrase several years ago. I've talked about it on this program over over those years. But now it's become almost a cliche. It's like, have a good day. It's now, well, stand in your own truth. But what that means and what it says is that there are, there is no absolute truth. 
So whatever you believe is the truth, it is absolute. That is probably the point of the spear that takes takes us to where Egypt was in Scripture. And unfortunately and concerningly, it takes us to where we are today in America. Saul Alinsky is often quoted now, hope, and that's a good thing. But I was thinking about his rules for radicals. I haven't memorized them, nor do I want to memorize them, but I took a look at them again this morning. And um, rule number three, (laughs) rules for radicals. In other words, how to change the culture to the way you want it to be. Rule number three, whatever possible. And these people have studied these, make no mistake about it. In fact, Obama taught a class on this at Harvard. Rule number three, whenever possible, go outside the experience of an opponent. Here you want to cause confusion, fear, and retreat. And in that context, we're told to bait an opponent into reacting. That's how you win the war of the culture, according to Saul Alinsky, who was born, bred, and raised on Marxism. Bait an opponent into reacting. There are other rules, but keep that in mind. I want to talk to you about the fact that there were roughly 25,000 National Guard members in Washington, D.C. for the inauguration of President Joe Biden. 25,000. That's a lot. (laughs) There are always some National Guard and certainly police force type people in town for inaugurations. But why were there so many? Well, the answer is simple. We know why there were so many. They were there to protect our country from Donald Trump and the tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who insurrected, if that's a word, on January 6th. We were told that they were protecting our country from we the people. 74 million people who voted for Trump They locked up the Capitol, much like they've locked down the culture over the last year. But if that's so, why are thousands of troops still there? Why are the fences with razor wire stretching for miles around the city? Why are they there? Why is the Capitol still shut down, fenced off, troops everywhere guarding the Capitol from the citizens? Now, today in Washington, D.C., you may have heard this, but I need to mention it. Scheduled congressional sessions have been canceled today. Because, well, authorities are saying there are credible reports of a possible attack on the Capitol today because it's March 4. Capitol Police told lawmakers on Wednesday and lawmakers immediately, the left lawmakers, Pelosi, Schumer, those people, who are now in power. They said they had obtained intelligence that shows a possible plot to breach the Capitol by an unidentified militia group today, Thursday, March 4. Well, we'll see what happens today. This program originates at 9 o'clock in the morning on the West Coast. We're about 15 minutes into it, so it's 9.15 as I speak. 
the live portion of this program. I'm watching the news as I'm talking to you, and nothing has happened at this moment, but it may. But whatever happens, there's a growing chorus of people from both political parties that are now beginning to question the wisdom or the motives of Pelosi and Schumer regarding locking up the Capitol and continuing to hold thousands of National Guard troops in readiness at the Capitol. Why are they doing this? Brian York wrote an article. He's an excellent writer, a conservative. He wrote an article a while back, and he was noting that 25,000 were far more than any number in the past. Nobody's ever done that before. They haven't. He's right, except there was sort of sort of a, a situation that was like this, but it, a little bit different. On April 15, 1861, Abraham Lincoln called for 75,000 volunteer troops to suppress a rebellion and defend our capital in the city of Washington. So the government property literally became a barracks. It's an interesting story. I mean, it's kind of a sad story, really, but troops were in virtually every government building in town, including the Treasury Building, City Hall, the Patent Office, the White House. Most significantly, they were even camping out in the Capitol itself. Harper's Weekly Back in 1861, they reported on this. They talked about the incoming soldiers. They said in in their reporting that these soldiers, volunteers, all of them, they made themselves very much at home. They staged mock debates in the Senate while they were standing by the House chamber. They defaced some of the walls. They were even, they attached ropes to some of the ceiling and the chandeliers and the rotunda, and they were swinging from the ropes. But this is different. Mobilizing 25,000 troops was clearly an overreaction. So is keeping thousands of them on duty around the Capitol really providing safety, or is it fanning the flames of fear? And razor wire fences? Really, I have seen fences like that. In fact, I saw a part of that in Berlin. At the wall, I stood there and looked at the pictures of people who had been shot 10 feet from where I was standing because they were trying to get across there to freedom. But whoever thought that Washington, D.C. would be fenced and razor-wired and blockaded by thousands of troops because of we the people? Most agree there's no longer a need for this even if there was in the first place, and I don't believe there was. The Capitol, from inside the razor wire fencing, has still these thousands of volunteer troops, National Guard. And the barrier is not just on the perimeter of the Capitol. It extends for blocks and blocks beyond the building in every direction. It's a sober-looking sight. When asked about all this, President Biden's press secretary, Jen Psaki, said this week, she said, "Uh, I don't want to comment on that. She wouldn't even talk about it. When U.S. Representative Hakeem Jeffries, he's a Democrat from New York, when he was asked about it, he said, the attack on the Capitol was a violent insurrection that resulted in the spilling of American blood. Well, this isn't exactly the Civil War. But yes, there are two very decided, different views of America in America today. 
lot of the Republicans are starting to ask about this. Lisa McLean, she's a Republican from Michigan. She says, quote, myself and several of my colleagues have asked Nancy Pelosi for a briefing as to why do we need these troops here? And we've received zero information. Zero. (laughs) She was pretty upset. She said, it's amazing to me that she can think she can do this without any disclosure, without any information, just continue to spend money with no briefing. And speaking of money, the National Guard occupation, the budget office has said just earlier this week or the end of last week, that the cost to taxpayers so far has been over $500 million and it's county. So we're approaching, we're past the halfway mark to a billion dollars in spending to keep these troops in town surrounding our capital. Even Eleanor Holmes Norton, who is not a conservative, she's the District of Columbia delegate to Congress, she said this fencing especially should be, should it become permanent, quote, sends the wrong message to the nation and the world by transforming our democracy from one that is accessible and of people to one that is exclusive and fearful of its citizens. Is Nancy Pelosi wanting to send this kind of a message? Is she wanting to cause people to be fearful, maybe even confused? Well, that's where I wanted to share with you the verse that I read a few minutes ago, inadvertently. I believe there is a spirit, a spirit of wanting confusion, a spirit of wanting to fan the flames of confusion and fear and anxiety. Whether it has to do with the COVID, whether it has to do with a, an attack on the Capitol that may or may not happen today. But I do believe that some are motivated maybe even beyond their own realization. I don't know how that works. But I do know that there are those among us and now in leadership who do not want the American people to live in peace and prosperity. They want to be, they want to fan the flames of unrest and insecurity because that's how they stay in power and that's how they control what happens in the culture. It's sad, but it's true. Most of them are students of Saul Alinsky, but those who are not have learned from others who were. And unfortunately, that's the world we live in. Karl Marx tried to bring down the West. He thought he could bring it down through war and conflict and indoctrination. That failed. After the war, people didn't become a global village. They returned to their own countries, took up their lives with their families. But his disciples, Gramsci and others, who studied and believed in with all their heart, believed in Marxism, they suddenly realized a generation or so later that Marxism could work, but it must be a cultural, not an economic Marxism. And they begin to teach this in Italy and in Europe, in Germany, and then moving to America. The Frankfurt Institute and others moved here and they begin to infiltrate our schools and our institutions with the whole idea that is anti-God, anti-freedom, anti-liberty. It's Marxism in its most raw form, except it's adapted to the culture rather than the economy. And we're seeing some of the results of that today, and it's concerning. Rule number one of Alinsky is 
Power is not only what you have, but it's what an opponent thinks you have. And as I said earlier, whenever possible, go outside. That's number three. Go outside the experience of an opponent. <clears throat> Here you want to cause confusion and fear and retreat. And that's what many, and I personally believe Nancy Pelosi is all about. I believe she's more interested. I could be wrong. And yes, I am judging her conduct, her actions. I believe she's more interested in striking fear and submission to America than she is in actually advancing freedom and liberty. Her power base is more important to her than anything, in my opinion. Now we're learning that the troops have been sleeping in parking garages because they weren't provided for at the Capitol. Yesterday we learned that they're being given tainted food and some of them are <clears throat> are sick and they're vomiting and their their stomach is upset because they've been delivered food that is rotten. I wrote an article on this today on faithandfreedom.us. It's called Faith and Freedom Daily. We put pictures of some of the food in there. It's gross. It's horrible. I mean, it's something you don't feed to your animals. But they're being fed. I'm not blaming Pelosi, but I'm saying this whole thing is so out of character with America. It's so out of step with what who we are as a nation. So now this is going on. Senator Tom Cotton, himself a veteran, has addressed some of this. Cotton said last summer as left-wing mobs rioted in the streets and threatened to overwhelm local police and even the National Guard, he said, I wrote an op-ed in the New York Times titled, Send in the Troops. He said, I argued that the president should deploy federal troops if necessary to restore, maintain order. He was talking about the streets of Seattle, Portland, Chicago, Baltimore, etc. Many agreed with him. He said, my position was grounded in federal law based on many historical precedents supported by a majority of Americans. But this argument outraged many on the left, so much so that the editor of the New York Times opinion page lost his job for publishing my op-ed. But when a different mob chanting different slogans threatened our capital, many of my critics sang a different tune. He said, I sit on the Intelligence Committee, but I'm aware of no specific credible threat re reporting. He said, as distinguished from aspirational, uncoordinated un bluster on the Internet. He said, no nothing that I've seen on this committee justifies this continued true presence. Thus, I believe the rest of these soldiers should go home to their families and their civilian jobs. He said, the lesson of the Capitol riot is not that we should quarter a standing army at the Capitol, but rather that our security measures should be calibrated to the actual threats. In other words, we should know what we're doing. Many are asking, what's going on with this? Nancy Pelosi has remained silent. She won't speak about it. She won't answer, except there's one phrase she keeps repeating. And that phrase is, quote, the enemy is within, of course, referring to Cicero. The enemy is within. Well, that may be, but we need to decide who is the enemy and who will protect our soldiers from that enemy. Well, give that some thought. We're out of time. Thank you for your support. Much needed, much appreciated. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009.
Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. I'll see you right here tomorrow, and we'll continue this conversation.